listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. You please stand with me as I share from Scripture the passage that Pastor Jeff will be preaching from this morning. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. It is on page 1053 in the Black Bible in the chair in front of you. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Have you ever met someone who became more impressive the more time you spent with them? It's actually pretty rare. Uh, I mean, most of us, we look pretty good on a first impression and, you know, we can clean up all right and have a nice conversation and put our best foot forward. And, uh, you know, you might walk away saying like, oh, that was really nice and it seems like a nice person. But usually most of the time, the, the longer we're with someone, Uh, the more we see kind of all the warts and the flaws and the failures, and we can tend to become less impressed with someone the more we know them. Uh, I grew up in a family of all boys, so I did not have any sisters, and to me, girls were kind of mysterious in in a good way. Like, you meet them at school, and they just seem pretty, and they smell nice, not like my brothers, and uh, then I get married to this beautiful woman, and Turns out she's a real person, and, you know, sometimes you find out spouses snore. Not anyone I happen to be married to, but it can happen. Uh, I didn't have any younger siblings either, and I didn't do much babysitting, so I didn't grow up around infants. And the first time I'm volunteering in a church nursery, and, oh, this is lovely, and look at this sweet little baby, and then it's time to change a diaper, and where did this come from? This is not what I thought babies were about. How did this produce that? Sometimes, you know, maybe it's... uh, somebody looking impressive from a distance, right? Uh, Maybe you've met someone who was your hero, somebody famous you you ran into, and, you know, they looked good from 20 feet away or 100 feet away, and then up close you realize they're not as nice as you thought or they're not as genuine as you thought, and they have problems and issues like all of us do. For someone to look more impressive the more that you know about them, that's pretty rare. And I think that's what Jesus seems like encountered when he came into this world. Uh, In the earlier part of John chapter 1, remember we heard a few weeks ago that Jesus came into the world that he had made and came to his own, and yet his own did not receive him. They were expecting something different. They were expecting someone more impressive, someone, um, you know, more, I don't know, 
he comes from a nowhere town, right? Like, can anything good come from Nazareth? And the prophets suggest that Jesus didn't have anything in his appearance that was particularly noticeable. He had no form or majesty that we would be attracted to him, right? Like, you wouldn't have seen Jesus walking down the street and going like, oh, that guy's obviously the Son of God. He just looked like a, a normal guy, just another person, which is what makes this intro, this prologue to John's gospel, all the more amazing. Because what if, what if you had really high expectations for someone, and then you see who that person is, and they actually exceed all those expectations? They're even more. They're better. They're, they're higher than you even thought. That's what John is saying we have when we meet Jesus Christ. One pastor looked at these first 18 verses and picked out at least 20 remarkable, amazing things about Jesus in here. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. And it's on page 1053 of these black Bibles in front of you. Uh, we're continuing in this series called God's Promises Kept and looking at how God has promised to send a Savior, a Messiah, one that would be chosen and called and empowered by Him to fulfill all of His promises to save and rescue a people and bring them back to Himself. And look at what John is saying about what happens, what we see about Jesus when He comes into the world. He pre-existed all things. This word was there in the beginning. He has an eternally privileged place. He was with God. The, the word is the word of God. It's God's self-revelation, his self-disclosure. He's equal with God. He, he is active in creating all things. Nothing exists that wasn't created by him. He is life. He is light. The the darkness that exists in the world, he has overcome all of it. God's prophets, like John, point to him. He, he gives us the right to become children of God. He's the only son of the Father. He perfectly reflects the Father's glory. He took on flesh and humbled himself to dwell with us. He's greater than John the Baptist. He's greater than Moses. He makes the Invisible God, visible and knowable to us. He's at the Father's side. He's full of glory. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. And that's what we particularly want to focus on today. Those last three things. Because no matter what you believe about Jesus, no matter what you know about Him, I think it's safe to say that all of us underestimate Him. All of us do not see him and value him as much as John is trying to help us picture and see and experience Jesus here. 20 amazing things in these 18 verses, any one of which would stretch our imaginations and fill our hearts. And today I want us to focus on just this, the, the last of these, that he is full of glory, full of grace, full of truth, and what that means for us. Because I think John is saying the more that we see Jesus, the more we will experience his fullness. That's John's purpose. He, he wants us to experience the fullness of God's life in knowing Jesus. And the more that we see Jesus, the more that we will experience God's fullness. And, and that comes from verse 16. From his fullness, we have 
all received. What is John talking about there? His, his fullness. It, it means that there's no depletion, no possibility of God diminishing in any way. There's, there's only abundance. There, there's only provision. There's only overflow. You cannot exhaust God's riches. When, when If you're a Christian and, and you come to Jesus in faith, you will never get to a point where the Father says, you know, I gave you an account that had like a thousand really good prayers in it and you've used them all up. I'm sorry, I'm not going to answer this one. You come to the Father and say, you know, I've really blown it. I, I need your mercy. And the Father will never say, well, I'm sorry, I've run out. The mercy jar is empty for you. No, he, he has fullness, abundance, and overflow. And, and that fullness in verse 16, look, is what? From grace to grace or from grace upon grace. The, the phrase there in the Greek can be translated grace followed by more grace. Grace in place of grace already received. It's an image of an, an endless cascading flow like, like a chocolate fountain. Do you guys ever see one of these things? Like I remember the first time Amelia and I went out to some place and they had just like a chocolate fountain. And, and it just keeps pouring out chocolate. It doesn't run out. And, and you look around and you're like, oh my gosh, and there's all this stuff. Look, there's pretzels to put in it and angel food and, and marshmallows and, and strawberries. And, and it, you just, there's just more and more constantly. That's kind of the picture that, that John is giving us here. It, it never runs out. And, and the best part about this overflow of God's goodness is that it never needs refilling. The server never has to come out and, and pour more chocolate into it. Because God is the supply. And, and it's filled with better than, you know, restaurant quality chocolate. It's filled with God's grace, His undeserved kindness. You just keep seeing and discovering more and more of God's goodness and richness to you. When you have experienced one kindness, another one pours out. When you, when you have one joy, God puts another one on top of it over and over again. God pours out his grace in one way to his people in history, and, and then a greater grace comes. I, I think that's what John is getting at in verse 17. The law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, maybe in your translations, I know some of them render this kind of like a contrast, as though John is saying, well, you know, Moses gave us law, but Jesus gave us something better. He gave us grace and truth, as if, you know, Moses, Old Testament law, stern, bad, and Jesus, New Testament is grace and gentle and good and kind, and that, that's not what John is saying here. I, I mean, for one thing, if if the Apostle Paul in Romans, for example, can say that the commandment, the law, is good and right and holy, it's a good thing. And, and if verse 16 means grace pours out more to replace previous grace, then John's thought is that God's commandment, his law itself, was a grace that came to us, but, it, but it's been superseded by a greater and newer grace, a better grace that has come to us. So the contrast is not between good and bad. It, it's between, you know, sort of like a, a candle and, and the sunlight. 
You know, it used to be that candles were the only way that we could light our homes, right? And, and now we live in a day and age where candles are an opportunity to just, you know, spend lots of money and light up our home and make it smell pretty, which is great. I'm, I'm all about good-smelling candles. If the electricity goes out in your house, too, you're going to really appreciate those candles, right? Because you don't have any light, and you light up one of these candles, and maybe you can see a little bit, you can read some by it, and... And it's better than nothing. You're thankful for it. But when the electricity comes back on, when the day breaks and the sunlight streams into your house, the, the glory, in a sense, of that candle is overshadowed. It's surpassed by the glory of the light that's around it. It's not that the candles are bad. They've just been superseded. That's what John is saying here. The Son of God exceeds the grace and the covenant that came through Moses because Jesus is bringing to fulfillment all of God's plans and purposes. Jesus leads God's people in a greater exodus, into a greater freedom, into a greater kingdom, through a greater knowledge of himself. That's what John is saying. We have something better than the law. We have someone better than Moses. We have the Word made flesh, grace, living, breathing, walking among us. Because the more we see Jesus, the more we experience God's fullness. And that's what God wants for us. You know, last week we were in verse 14, and uh, we, I said we would skip over this phrase, full of grace and truth, and come back to it. And, and I want to spend a little time here because I think there's something that we need to understand about Jesus and what it says about us. Remember we said last week, real briefly, back in Exodus, Moses is as close as anyone has been to seeing God face to face, and, and he just he has this desire, God, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to experience you. And God says, you can't see me face to face and live, but I will cause my glory to pass by you and proclaim my name, but you cannot see me face to face. And, and what happens is, in Exodus 34, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So what, what is this about? What's the connection? Steadfast love is grace. It's undeserved kindness that God would reach out and call a people to himself who have no right to be his people. And his covenant faithfulness is another way of saying God is true. God is trustworthy. He is faithful. And throughout the Old Testament, we find that phrase over and over again in God describing himself, steadfast love and faithfulness. It's the very essence of who he is, his character. God says that my glory is the fullness of my steadfast love and my covenant faithfulness. And now back in John, John says we have seen Jesus' glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you see what God, what God is saying through John here? 
what John wants us to get. Where, where Moses could only hear of God's glory, uh, hear about his grace and his truth, we now see it in Jesus. The fullness of grace and truth of, of God's covenant love and steadfast faithfulness. And one of the things it means for us is a recognition that if Jesus is full of both of those things, that says something about us too. Because, you know, there are some of us for whom Jesus is all grace and some for whom Jesus is all truth. And some people look at Jesus and, and we love hearing him say, who among you is without sin? Let him cast the first stone. Do not judge lest you be judged. I do not condemn you. And, and you know, that's the Jesus I love. He's so gentle. It's just all grace and kindness and understanding. And then there are people who are really attracted to Jesus driving the money changers out of the temple and, and, you know, laying into the religious leaders. Some Christians love looking for anything to criticize in somebody else, that, that someone to blast, and, and, and they always want to point to that part of Jesus' character as, as sort of the trump card. You think, I'm a jerk. Jesus is a table flipper. I'm all about table flipping Jesus. He took a whip and went after people, right? That's what we need to do you got to get in people's faces and confront them. And in either extreme, Jesus is either, you know, some non-confrontational, squishy, hippie flower child or some, you know, testosterone-angry, vein-bulging, macho guy who just wants to punch people in the face to confront them with their sin. And John says Jesus came full of grace and truth. Not half grace and half truth, not grace for these people and truth for those people, but full of grace and truth. Are you a truth person or a grace person? Because all of us, by our wiring, by our personality, by our background, by, you know, the parts of the Bible we tend to read more and, and appreciate more, we probably tend towards one or the other. Without truth, Grace is just really an unloving acceptance. It's being nice by avoiding painful reality. Unconditional affirmation is not really biblical love. Without grace, truth ends up becoming cruel. It's just justification for being insensitive. Unkind truth is not biblical love. Jesus is all grace. He welcomes sinners, tax collectors, broken people. He has compassion on the crowds who are hungry and harassed without shepherds. He heals lepers, the lame and the blind. He welcomes little children to sit on his lap. He saves a dying thief on the cross who has nothing to offer him except brokenness and need and repentance. He pictures himself like a mother hen longing to gather chicks under her wing. And Jesus is all truth. I mean, he confronts the religious leaders of his day for their dishonesty and their greed and their hypocrisy. And he does tell people about what it is that he can see in their lives that's keeping them from coming to him and knowing life and healing and salvation. And he warned about hell more than he talked about heaven. He prophesied judgment on his own people and on their city. He obeyed the law. He set standards. He calls us as his followers to be willing to give up everything, even to the point of sacrificing our lives to follow him. Jesus is all grace and all truth. 
He didn't just come to give us an example of grace and truth. He came to save us in grace and truth because we are saved by the one who is all grace and all truth. The more we see Jesus, the more we experience God's fullness, God's life. The good news of the gospel is saying, look, I've come to send my son to save you, to make you like my son. We don't try to pursue grace and truth in order to earn God's favor or become a follower of Jesus, but as followers of Jesus, we try to look like the person we're following. We need to know that God is not saying, you know, go clean up your act and and then come talk to me. He says, come today in all of your brokenness and all your sin and all your pain and all your need. Come. And we need to hear, we need to know that when we blow it, when we mess up, when we run from the Father, He still stands with His arms open, ready to welcome us and receive us and wrap His arms around us and throw a party in celebration. And we also need to hear Jesus saying, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But the Son will set you free. And you will be free indeed. We need to hear the Jesus who says through his apostle Paul, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern the will of God. We need someone as beautiful and perfect and full as Jesus to graciously say in truth, I love you too much to leave you the way you are. That's what Jesus looks like. We need truth, we need grace, we need Jesus because only Jesus holds these things together in perfect grace and perfect truth. And only by knowing and following Jesus can we grow in that kind of grace and truth. Because the more we see Jesus, the more we experience God's fullness. Because he's the fullness of God's grace and truth and the fullness of the glory of the Father. We saw that already in verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we saw His glory, glory as the only Son of the Father. And that Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And in verse 18, so that those of us who have never seen God, the only God at the Father's side, He has made Him known. We all want glory in some sense, right? I mean, we're made for glory. We're made to know God and reflect his glory, but the problem is apart from really knowing him in Jesus, we're all looking for glory in unhealthy ways. Notice me, pay attention to me, love me, validate me, celebrate me, affirm me, listen to me. And Jesus shows us what the glory that God has for us is really like. I mean, a little bit later, in, in fact, in the next chapter, John says Jesus at this wedding in Cana of Galilee does this miracle to provide wine to keep this celebration going. And it says he manifested or demonstrated his glory. And we see that over and over throughout the Gospels. Jesus is demonstrating God's glory in healing and saving and rescuing and blessing and providing and, and speaking the truth and Then he displays his glory in the most radical way possible. 
as he's getting ready to give himself up in order to be the sacrifice to save us from our sins, he takes a towel and washes his disciples' feet. And then he goes to the cross and hangs there as the Son of God pouring out his life for undeserving sinners and a non-believing pagan soldier looks up at him and says, surely this man was the Son of God. How do you get from a condemned criminal hanging on the cross to say, this is what God looks like? That man's eyes were open to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ, in his sacrifice. That's what glory looks like. Glory looks like grace and truth and sacrifice and service and giving ourselves to bless and serve and do good to others because that's what God is. That's who he is. The gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. You see why John can say it's Jesus is the gracious, compassionate God, full of covenant love and steadfast faithfulness and and a glory greater than what Moses saw or experienced. I mean, Moses was like the coolest guy, right? I mean, can you imagine confronting Pharaoh and turning a stick into a snake and plagues on Egypt and splitting the Red Sea and water from the rock and manna in the wilderness and And Moses is on God's mountain, and God talks to him. And John says, Moses didn't see anything like Jesus, like the glory of Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, John says in verse 18. But there were these visible appearances of God in the Old Testament. There's angels, there's, you know, earthquakes and pillars of fire and but not God face-to-face like this. Not the fullness of God's grace and truth that we see in Jesus. And John drives it home saying he is the only God. That same word again back in verse 14. His glory as of the only Son of the Father. The same thing in verse 18. The only God. In, In Greek it's this word monogeneous, which means, can mean the only begotten or the only one of a kind. The unique one God who is the same as the Father but distinct from the Father and thus the only one who can actually show us the Father because, in verse 18, he is at the Father's side. And again, it's it's this beautiful picture here of literally in the bosom of the Father, in the lap of the Father. Not like a little child sitting on his his, grown-up dad's lap, but more like uh, two adults reclining at table, leaning on one another maybe, able to converse freely and intimately, a, a place of unique unity and companionship. And out of that, Jesus makes the Father known to us. Knowing he's seen God, how do you make an invisible God visible? And John says, I'll tell you how. It's Jesus. When you see Jesus, you see everything that God the Father is. 
And that's the reason Jesus has come. That's what he says again in verse 18 at the very end. He has made him known. What's translated here as made him known is the Greek word from which we get our English exegesis or exegete, which, you know, maybe you've heard it's kind of a fancy theological term. It just means to explain, to unfold, to reveal, to display. Sometimes we talk about exegeting a passage of Scripture as as we're teaching it or studying it. That's the interpretation, the exegesis, the explanation. And and we don't want to necessarily read an English word back into the Greek, but there's a relationship here that that I think is significant for us. In other words, the, the point of this entire prologue that John has given us is to say, I want to introduce you to Jesus because he is going to explain, he's going to unfold, he's going to reveal, he's going to demonstrate and make sense of the entire story of God and all his promises that are being kept and fulfilled in Jesus. You know, we tend to think of the Gospels as uh, stories of, you know, just the life of Jesus. Here's some facts of what he said and what he did, and he went to the cross and he died and he was raised and and that's all great and it's not that is it but but John is really saying in a bigger sense I'm telling you a story about God about who he is and what he's like I'm I'm going to show you what God is like because Jesus whole life exegetes explains unfolds demonstrates what God the Father is like And if you do not know him, if you do not have him, you do not know God the Father. It's not a story to help us live better. It's not a story to give us a good example. It's a story that believing in Jesus, we may have life. That we would have joy and freedom and rescue and purpose and identity and hope. It's the story of Jesus as the story of God. You want to know who God is? You want to know what God is like? Do you want to see, know, experience the fullness of life that God wants for you? John is saying the more you see Jesus, the more you experience God's fullness. Because according to Jesus, the only way, the only way to really know God is by looking to and holding to and resting and trusting in his son. And when you do, you will have, as John says, light and life and joy and glory and fullness from a never-ending supply of God's grace upon grace upon grace. That is what John wants you to have in knowing Jesus. In abundance forever. Because the more you see Jesus, the more you experience God's fullness. Let me pray for us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father because of your Son, the Lord Jesus, who makes you known to us. Oh, Father, we pray that you give us minds to understand these things with the help of your Spirit, hearts to embrace them, wills to obey, and lives and voices to sing praise to you, Father, Son, and Spirit. 
Help us to see you more and experience more of your fullness because it is in Jesus that we see and have you. Thank you for this word. Help us to believe that in believing Jesus, we may have life. It's in his name we pray. Amen.